Welcome to Decode, a podcast that delves into the complex world of K-12 computer science education, highlighting the significance of storytelling in comprehending educational data. Lane, Juan, hey, welcome. Everyone who's joined our, uh, our LinkedIn live feed, welcome to episode one of Decode. I'm your host, Stanley Buczewski, CEO of PyTop, and we're going to be talking about uh, access and equity in computer science and specifically policy in California as well as nationally. So you might be wondering um, what is Decode and why, and uh, just a little bit of background on this is really came about as, uh, as a result of conversations with superintendents where this word equity has been uh, repeatedly uh, surfacing. And the, and the question that I've been getting very often is what are you going to do to, uh, what are you doing to create equity in computer science? And so as I looked at the data on gender and uh, racial participation in computer science education, there were these massive disparities. It was just very disheartening, but some of the data didn't make sense to me. And it seemed like every person that I asked had a different viewpoint on the data. And so it made me think actually my first year at West Point Cadet where they, they break you down and then they rebuild you. They force you to unlearn uh, certain things you thought were true, and then to relearn other things uh, to help you become a, be, uh, a better leader. So Decode is, a, is an effort to unlearn some biases, seek some truth, and find some solutions uh, so we can provide CS education to all kids. So Blaine Juan, I, honestly, I'm, I'm so grateful to you guys today to, to, be, uh, to be able to join me and to, to kind of kick around some of these issues and try to make some sense of the, the data you know, we're talking about access versus equity, and they're, they're kind of esoteric words or they're education-ish words uh, used slightly differently. You know, just trying to understand what does that mean to you and your role and, you know, how did you get where you are now? You know, I just wanted to start with Blaine. If you'd like to give a quick intro, that would be, uh, that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you, Stanley, um, and welcome, Juan. I'm really excited to be here with you today, Stanley. Thank you for the invitation to be part of this conversation, um, kind of a fireside chat, just talking about what we what we feel and see, um, what we, we're calling out as an equity challenge, right, related to access for students in California to a, to a computer science education. Um, I, I want to, before I introduce myself, I just really wanted to to um, highlight and underscore what you mentioned earlier about this idea of equity. Um, and I know we're going to be grounding ourselves in a definition of equity, but I just want to share my own professional and personal understanding of equity as, a, as an operational definition. Yes, I'm the equity officer um, in ABC Unified School District here in Los Angeles County. Um, and when I think about equity, I think about uh, making sure that each child receives what they need to develop both academically, socially, and professionally to reach their full potential. And when I think about this idea of computer science education, uh, you know, is the access there to make sure students can can achieve their full professional and academic potential 10 to 15 years from now in their professional career? You know, situating myself in, in high school, thinking about kids when we want to introduce the idea of computer science potentially much earlier could happen. I know. But, you know, in my conceptual understanding of how computer science has been delivered. Uh, you know, I think about kids coming out of middle and high school and what that looks like for them professionally. Uh, like like Stanley said, my name is Blaine Watson. I am um, the equity officer in ABC Unified. Been a principal, assistant principal. I've worked as a, a consultant in several, several scenarios, supporting uh, organizations and leaders and developing professional capacity and teachers. Um, I'm really honored to be here today. There's a lot of other things I can mention, but I will say I'm also very fond of Dr. Santos. 
he and I are professional colleagues and friends. So I'm happy that he is part of this conversation. If anybody's going to talk about this conversation with me and Stanley, I'm really, I'm, I feel honored that, that Juan is here with us. Well, thank you for that introduction, Blaine. Yeah, Dr. Juan Santos. I mean, uh, uh, again, super grateful to have you you here. Um, Ventura County Assistant Superintendent of HR, but um, very exciting uh, president of CALSA, uh, the California Association of uh, Latino uh, Superintendents and Administrators. Um, and uh, lots of things going on with CALSA as well. So uh, we can Kind of jump into to that as well uh, as part of some of the some of the things you're doing, but um, yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit a uh, little bit of your thoughts as well. You know, for me, uh, first, I'm just blessed with this opportunity, so thank you for the invitation, uh, Juan Santos. I'm a, a husband, a, a son, um, a learner. You know, for lack of better words, you know, I, I uh, you know, being a father, I want to provide my kids the opportunity to really access things that I didn't have. And so I think this is just a great opportunity when you ask for a definition. It's always great for us to understand who we are, where we come from, really ground ourselves. So whenever I think of equity, I, I say almost the same exact thing as Blaine would say. It's providing access and support uh, for those, for lack of better words, marginalized persons to realize their, their personal best. I often use the model, be your best. And in short, liberating them, you know, and eradicating any systemic, cultural and institutional forms of oppression that's out there. So that's when I think of equity, what it's about. I often laugh because it, it, it relates to me to um, when people often say, well, we want to make sure we use English language learner instruction. And I'm thinking that's just good teaching, you know, good instruction. You know, we're all learning English. So whenever I think of equity, it's what's the best for all of us to get an understanding so that we could just be better. So, you know, as, as mentioned before, I'm the president-elect for CALSA. Um, excited about this opportunity we have. We're actually speaking a lot about equity and we're speaking a lot about uh, technology at our upcoming conference, February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in beautiful San Jose. And um, again, on calsa.org, definitely, if you haven't yet um, heard about us, Definitely look it up, calsa.org. But we want to invite everybody as our guest and uh, find out. We're trying to maximize everyone's potential, which is what we're talking about here with equity and especially access. Yeah, there's so so some of the the, the interesting things that I was looking at uh, uh, kind of over the past couple of months uh, are around access versus equity uh, comes down to a lot of the um, there's been a lot of legislation that's come out from the, the various states around computer science and uh, code.org has been uh, a really great uh, leader in that and advocacy organization uh, around it. And, and so I've seen, there've been a lot of states that have mandated the teaching of computer science and such. And, um, and some of the, the interesting data disparities though, have been um, some states have, they have, I don't know if I guess I if I were to distinguish between access and equity, I kind of think about access means it's offered. So you got the chance to take it. Equity kind of uh, to me is around uh, I, I, I'm, I tend to equate it with in enrollment. Um, and, and it's a really fine point uh, of like if it's offered, why isn't everybody taking it? So I want to dig into that a little bit. But 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 first, I wanted to kind of look at the 
the national data, right? We've got, thir- so far, there have been uh, 30 states that have passed legislation uh, requiring uh, schools to offer computer science. Eight of the states have passed legislation uh, making it a graduation requirement. So you have to take it in order to, to finish high school. Um, California, the technology innovation center of the world, where people go to be a part of like the most cutting edge uh, technology companies, um, uh, yet uh, neither one of those is legislation that's passed in the, in, in the state. Uh, so we're not even offering people the opportunity to learn the skills needed to be a part of those big companies. Um, uh, you know, Blaine, you, you would ask the, about kind of a proposed legislation, but like, how, how do you make sense of, of that? Like wh- what's, what's going on? <laughs> Yeah. So when you mentioned there's a, you know, there are 27 other states that are offering computer science as a graduation requirement. Obviously, that's a remarkable feat. I think that's an important thing. But the first thing that pops into my head when I think about the disparity is what are they not offering? Right. And I don't I don't want to, you know, we're here advocating for for computer science, but it's also important to consider all the different nuances that we have to consider when we think about student needs, when we think about master scheduling um, as a site leader, working as district leaders, thinking out, thinking about the master schedule, the school site and your budget, your, your master schedule basically dictates what you're offering and the values uh, that your organization or the school site um, is built upon. Right. And so I'm not saying, nor am I thinking that legislators of the state of California uh, in the state of California at the top are, are, are saying or even thinking that computer science is, isn't important. It's, that's, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is there are other, there are other initiatives, there are other priorities in the state that are being offered to our children. And, I, and right now they've been mandated, right? Like, for example, we have an upcoming ethnic studies graduation requirement um, that all schools across the state of California will be required to take. And I wonder in those other 27 states, which of those 27 states are offering, also going to be offering and mandating ethnic studies? Definitely, a, uh, you know, a trade-off. Yeah. And I think ethnic studies is a very important initiative, right, to make sure, again, talk about equity, to make sure kids feel seen, heard, um, and valued in terms of their, their, their culture and their identity and their ethnicity. That's a very important. And how we're teaching history, how we're teaching um, the, the structures of our society, that's important for kids then to understand. But when we talk about access, all right, and I like what you said earlier, I wrote down what you said um, in your research, Stanley, you've been talking about this idea, course offering versus enrollment. And when I think about offering a course, that's great. I can have a course offered in my master schedule, but enrolling a child in that, in that class, knowing that, that this class would potentially inspire and empower them to become more than they are currently is an important skill, an important personal approach that every school site leader teachers and counselors are considering when we're thinking about programming for in the classroom. Um, so I, I don't I don't want to argue that computer science is not something that legislators in the state of California, just to be clear for our audience, our st- state of California, the state of California, right, our legislators determine the curriculum and course offerings. Uh, and so it's important for us to think about um, the political challenges uh, that may exist, despite being a hugely um, hugely influenced by technology, being the technology hub of uh, of the country or even the, the world in California, um, there are also different political challenges that we face 
and policymakers specifically when they're thinking about course offerings and how that looks on the ground level with with schools and with leaders and families? You know what? I'll jump in with I'll jump in there, uh, Blaine, because I also to support California. I know that we have our standards. We were uh, the curriculum standards and our strategic plan were introduced in 2018. And I know recently we've had the Assembly Bill 1251 that kind of really pushes an emphasis on let's get this going, let's streamline this process out there. So now I know there's a you know there's a re you know there's a, a reinvigoration of trying to get the computer sciences going, and um, you know at least we're off to something. And you know to say that to look at the positive is is we're moving in that direction. So now how do we increase those class offerings? And you're right, Blaine, without taking away the ethnic studies, without taking away the language requirements. You know we don't you know we can continue to add, but I think. Lane nailed it on the head. It's a sense of belonging. I mean, once you see yourself in the schools, once you see yourself with the teachers, once you see your curriculum starting to look like something you use on a regular everyday basis, there's going to be disengagement. And we want to make sure we engage our students by having the right, the right technology, the right teachers, just really the right mindset. You, you know, we, we were, we were talking the other day, um, something I wrote this down too. Uh, uh, Juan, you'd, you'd said, you know, if we're not relevant uh, in school, why why should they even pay attention, right? So, like, there's an onus on us around, I, I guess, you know, we're talking about what are you going to use your money for and how are you going to schedule it? Um, and, you know, that's not the legislator, right? That's um, that's the school leader um, choosing what they're, what they're going to prioritize. And, um, you know, the... The ethnic studies and uh, that you're talking about, Blaine, just um, super interesting to me, right? Because um, I, I never had a course like that when I was when I was a kid. Um, but it just it's like it really makes me think about um, the the disparity. Like if it, in a lot of schools it is offered, but the kids are choosing not to take it. Um, so is it cause it's boring? Is it like, what, what are the, the biases there? Right. And is, and, um, you know, did the ethnic studies, um, uh, you know, as a priority, is that something that really, you know, giving kids confidence to be themselves, um, kind of translate to confidence to, um, engage in something like com- computer science? I think so. I think I think anytime you engage kids on a personal and relevant level, something that's connected that connects them to their culture and to their identity, especially students. We know we were in terms of child development, we're 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 actively engaged in the formation of our youth. And so if we're not giving them an opportunity to think of and study study who they are and see themselves relatively positioned in in positions of power, right? Or or they study the the true nuances and intricacies of of why people who look like them were have not been placed in positions of power and what that looks like historically. I think that can empower, you know, future generations of people to 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 think about themselves differently. And now when we talk about ethnic oh, sorry, computer science as a as a vehicle, right, to empowerment. I think that's what that's what we have to consider. When I was a principal in in Compton Unified, at Dominguez High School, definitely want to plug our Dons over there at Dominguez High School. I love the Don community. Um, when we were there, we offered a, um, a a computer science course and also AP computer science. And I think that was connected to an idea we had in our, our, our CTE program or our career technical education uh, design. 
right? And so we wanted to make sure kids had exposure to different uh, computer science programming. Um, and then I think the other part of this, I guess the the, the cultural relevance that we want to see in, in, in computer science is in the curriculum, but also in the pedagogy, how we teach the curriculum. You know, what type of coding platforms are we using? Are they relevant? Do kids see that? Like kids love gaming, right? Is that something that's, that is they, that's inspiring them to do their current work and then see themselves in the future? I, I think that could be something. That's what we did, right? We I was lucky and we were blessed to find a teacher, Mr. O, who is, um, he is a gamer, um, by I want to say aficionado, right? And but also I'm very, like, very it's a really cool, cool guy that you know yeah. you just kind of dream of getting a guy like this as a as a teacher, a unicorn, a unicorn. I would say a unicorn, Stanley, and not just that, but a, a male teacher, a male African American male teaching computer science. And you know we don't find a lot of black males or males of color teaching many science courses, right? Or even math courses. And we know what the research says about the connection students are, can make and the empowerment students feel uh, by being exposed to uh, teachers of color, especially males of color. But that's a, uh, let me digress, right? Well, we're here to talk about the idea of computer science. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a really critical uh, question too, right? Because, you know, uh, uh, Juan, you, you just mentioned the, this bill that's on the table in, in California. Um, we were digging that up, I think, um, Assemblyman uh, Mark Berman uh, introduced legislation to to mandate computer science in high schools. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting as 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 we go around and talk with schools about computer science and implementing it. Uh, and, you know, talking about teachers, just teachers in general. Historically, it's been um, kind of a, a computer science teacher and a, and a or an early adopter or a school that's got this just a really dedicated person like you had, Blaine or um, really good funding. But, uh, you know, if you thought it was hard to find a computer science teacher um, before all these mandates, um, this, this there's none to be had now. Like, I, I mean, Juan, how, what do you, how does that, you know, like just from a hiring HR retention perspective? Well, from the HR I mean, perspective, just thinking about that, I mean, there's just so we know and we're clear, there's three ways for one to become a teacher. And let's, I mean, if they have the skill set, and, and, and I'm not going to, um, you know, it's, it's not for everyone. This is an art form. That's why I said there's a capacity here where we could convert our teachers to teach this information, but you have the CTE work experience. So you have anybody out there, and if anybody's watching this and, and they're in the computer world and they're looking to really impact lives, we want you. Just, you know, we'll help you do that. We can teach you the art because you have a skill set. The second way is if you have a math or business or industrial technology credential, you have that, you can go ahead and you can teach. Um, the reality is, is it, you know, it's really hard to find those, as, as mentioned before by Blaine. There's your unicorn. And then there's the person who currently has the credential. They just need 20 credits, 20 credits of computer science. And I think that's, can we convert who we currently have our teachers want to use technology, but I think you and I had talked about this before. I mean, we have mandates, we have testing, we have this, we have that. I mean, we're putting, you know, the results. We often say the results. You show me what the results are. I'll show you people working towards those results. Um, the reality is if we want to continue to be this truly prosperous and inclusive, you know, country, which is what we all want, our future relies on this, this shared knowledge. And this shared knowledge means providing them access to it. I mean, coding, 
I have no idea in some cases when I first was introduced what it is. I mean, it, an embarrassing story here. I didn't even have a home computer until 2003 or four. And I know my friends laughed at me and they're like, I can't believe that an administrator or a teacher and a, an attorney, my wife's an attorney, how you can have no technology <laughs> at home. Now, good Lord, I have more technology and my kids have that. And it's amazing. But again, yeah, you hit the accelerate button. Uh, yeah, but if you right? put access, all that doesn't come unless, you know, we introduce it. We kind of push it on our students because that's the only way that we can get out of of the systemic, you know, issues that we're having today. I had a similar, I had a similar experience actually. I, you know, I was in the army, right? And funny enough, I majored in computer science engineering at West Point. And then I was an infantry officer. We, you know, affectionately call them ground pounders or grunts. So I wasn't using the computer at all. <laughs> and it was like three, four years. And I, and I finished that. And then I got a similar time frame to you. I got a, I got a PC. I didn't even know how to like make it work. I had I had to completely relearn all all over again, and it just makes me think uh, about how quickly uh, how much technology is just uh, accelerating. Like there's a new technology sooner and sooner and sooner, and I guess no conversation on computer science would be complete without any uh, mention of of AI, which is you know the exciting the exciting buzzword um, today. Uh, but uh, what, it, what it made me think of is uh, we had um, one of the guys from code.org, their head of product is uh, Pat Yankradit, and he, uh, he registered to, so I'm not sure whether he's on or not, uh, but I was looking at some of the things that he was posting, and to California's credit, uh, they were uh, the second state to uh, adopt the teachai.org um, framework. For uh, for using AI within the within schools, um, my kids' school. Uh, I'm I'm asking my kids about. Um, I, I want to say one of them was asking me, "Hey, Dad, how do I? Um, like, I've got this big fat book here. I got to read. I'm like, I need X number of hours. And I'm like, well, why don't you just ask ChatGPT to summarize the chapters for you? <laughs> and they're like, I can't do that. That's cheating. And um, and turns out it doesn't even matter because it's completely blocked at their at their school. So anyway, kudos to New York um, Department of Education for um, sorry, California Department of Education for um, for adopting that framework back in September. So more more to come on that. I, I mean, definitely a forward thinking state. I was just surprised by um, kind of where they were with uh, legislations of the of the mandates. Um, Real quickly, if you don't mind, I'd like to I'd like to go back to what Juan was talking. You asked Juan a question about from an HR perspective. And so just thinking very op optimistically, right? Say, say California does move toward uh, a statewide requirement for computer science for, for high school. What, in your opinion, Juan, your professional opinion as an HR leader, human resource leader, what would what would a successful curric uh, sorry, what would a successful computer science teacher pipeline look like? What would, how, where will we recruit? Where will we get teachers? Where will we build that capacity so that we're not always looking for unicorns? Like they're, they're front and center. We know where to find people. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges, right? We mentioned that a little while ago. It's one of the biggest challenges, finding people to teach a computer science course. You know, I, 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 as I mentioned, you know, probably I touched on it. I think we already have those teachers. And what I say by that is year after year, 
because of declining enrollment, we lose many of our teachers, many of our young teachers that are starting in the profession. But I believe in connection, you know, with maybe the universities, uh, I know they're doing some things in the Cal States as well as the UCs and even the community colleges. I think we can bring in some of these individuals to help train our teachers and provide them those units so that they're, that is true professional development. And, and I think it shouldn't just be yeah. computer science by itself. I mean, computer science can be embedded just like English should be embedded in every subject matter and math. I mean, you often hear, I teach English. No, you teach students. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think once we get, once we get connection with those universities, Blaine, I think once you add that to the mix, as well as, like you said, we're in the tech hub. These companies, we're supposed to be producing what's unfilled out there. I think I read, you know, on code, uh, one million unfilled jobs. Our students, they want jobs, but they want to do something they love. And I think we can provide that by getting these teachers, adding this learning because they want to use it too. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you're talking about jobs, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, like the, the education we're trying to give our kids is so they can get good jobs. And in California, there are 40,000 computer-related jobs with an average salary of $153,000 a year. So, you know, when we talk about the why, like that's, that's it. It's right there. And you know, we're talking about the teachers. I also... I also love like the the fact that you're talking about industry certifications, right? So pulling people from industry is like a, a great way. I want to share a um, I want to share a, a slide here. Just on this is national this is national tech data right here. You know, you look at this, and I mean, what do you what do you think when you see this? Right here, here is the actual tech employment data. We've got all of these jobs that are unfilled. This is by race and gender. So most of those tech jobs nationally are filled by white males. It's a big drop down to female, a lot of Asian. Um, I want to say Hispanic is either in this other category or two or more races. But this is this was kind of the the reason to be, you know, for me in terms of this podcast is like, what is going on here? Like why? Why is this uh, disparity so great? And, and, you know, what are some of the things we can do? I, how, how do you guys look at this, this chart? Like, I, I, think it has, I think it has everything to do with what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, bias. Yeah. Institutional bias, personal and professional bias, and that's implicit, right? Uh, we have a lot of what we see as a result in, our prof- in, our, in these careers, right? And this, this job data we're looking at <clears throat> is, a direct, is a directly correlated to the bias that we see on the ground in education, right? A lot of our, either overrepresentation or underrepresentation uh, of women, right? In these professions, uh, potentially because we don't see as an institution, right? Uh, we don't see in place women in many, or young ladies in many, op- many more opportunities, right? To be successful, right? We see men traditionally being placed in these positions, right? How do we work to give young ladies more access? How do we get more? How do we work to make sure other people of color who happen to be women as well, right? More access and opportunities to thrive. Um, so again, it has to do with the, the, that poli- the political conversation, the values conversation in your organization as a school. 
And then if you're if, if there's no statewide mandate for computer science, how do you build it into your program? You know, there, you know, advocacy doesn't necessarily have to live at the state level. You know, we can advocate locally to make sure that things are happening for our children um, so that we can flip that debt on its head. You know, when it being a proud father of a daughter, my oldest, a Trinity, little shout out to her. How old is, how old is uh, your, your oldest? 18, an 18 year old senior at her school. And, you know, it, it's, it's having these conversations with her about not just technology, but just being a woman. I mean, I, she, I'm part of the patriarchy. She'll tell you. I mean, she's got this, oh, you know, and very strong, independent woman that's dealing with so much around her. And there's that bias, you know, and, and it's one of those, you know, we need to emphasize and, and put it out there. I know for us with Calza, our emphasis is trying to increase the cabinet level positions for our women of color. I mean, that's a, that is specific one of our agenda items to try to focus on. So we have to be intentional. We have to seek results. I think when you look at, at the 20, we have, you know, the, the 24%, we need to emphasize getting more women in there. Therefore, how do we do that? We need to make it a point to say, we're increasing this number by this percentage. Once you put a number on, you got to go after it. I don't care so much for activities, but more the results. How, how do we increase demand though? Um, and, and I'm asking because sort of we're, because the mandates are supply, like we're going to require supply, but then that doesn't mean that kids are going to still want to want to take it. And, and in many states who, who have that requirement, kids still aren't, aren't, aren't taking it. And anecdotally, I can say, you know, I've, I've asked a lot of kids uh, about computers, including my own. I mean, it's like, no, it's just the nerdy kids that are taking that. Is that a bias? Is it accurate? Is it, is it true? Um, or, um, no, that's not for, you know, whatever, uh, it's not for girls or, or, you know, where, where are the, where are the biases happening and how can, what, like, what are the things that we can do to, to deconstruct that on the, on the demand side? So in a school to get, uh, a, um, a girl interested in, um, in computer science, what are the things, um, that we can do to kind of change these biases um, or, 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 you know, create something on the, the demand side. So, so to answer, to try to answer your question, I think that there's two, I have two responses to your question. The first one I, I think is it's challenging. It's not impossible work, but it's very, very challenging and long work to change bias, right? Because you're, you're, you're talking about changing the bias in adults mostly. Um, and then, you know, the, the adults that bias have, the, the adults have, sorry, the bias that adults have, toward computer science and the bias that maybe adults have toward access to computer science is something that has developed, right? And evolved over time in this individual's experience. Well, and, and we as parents, we like take our biases and then the kids walk into the school with, really? with that false bias. Yeah. So that was my second response, right? And then working with, yeah. working with the children and their families to really to address the bias that we have to this science course and then making it super attractive, right? Whenever you introduce any new programming in schools, you have to make sure that you're doing a needs assessment, right? And you have to make sure that you're talking with your community, engaging your community. I would love, you know, if you're thinking about launching, say we have a computer course at a school and we have low enrollment, how do we 
how do we engage student leaders, kids who have in the who are in the class who kind of you know, flip the the stereotype on the head, right? Now they're not just the nerdy kid, right? But a kid who's maybe highly socially influential, a kid who's an athlete, right? How does that kid get in front of other freshmen or middle school kids to talk to them about their experience, successful experience? How do you get industry leaders who work in tech to to mentor and work with youth? I think that's that that right there, you'll you can kill two birds with one stone, right? All of our youth need mentoring and support. And they need to work with adult and not just their own parent but other adults who are crazy and crazy about them and want to be champions for them. And how do you help them, those industry professionals, then talk to them and maybe do some job shadowing and help them understand that computer science is a very, very wide and long career, right? And there's lots of things that you can do. Um, so I think that's what you do in terms of answering your question about demand. The, the bias approach is long work, but it has to be intentional work with adults, including parents who are influencing children's thoughts about computer science. And then secondly, right, how do you advertise? How do you market this program in your school successfully in partnership with industry leaders and community leaders that would support the work on the ground? And I think you market it even earlier. I think you don't wait till, till high school. You know, you hit this in elementary, like you actually reach out and try to get these kids involved because all kids, I mean, think about it. When they start, they're just a sponge. They want everything. What happens over the course of time is they lose that interest because we're not you know, we're not prepared for that change. And so we need to change that. We need to flip it on its head and say, you know, girls, this is for you. Boom. I mean, we need to mandate it from that perspective in the sense that push the envelope, force these kids into enjoying, have fun with it. Yeah. You know, interestingly, the the legislation that's on the table in California is, uh, I believe, only mandating it in high school if it's passed. And, uh, I think that's a big mistake, right? Because like by the time you get to high school, you're either in or you're out. Like the sh that, that ship's kind of set sail. And, um, you know, one of the big things is the AP computer science exam. If your first introduction to computer science isn't until high school, there's almost no way that you're going to be taking the AP computer science exam, uh, which is setting you up for a degree in computer science and getting some extra credits um, ahead of time. I was looking at the... <clears throat> Code.org has a, uh, a scorecard for, for California. And one of the things they track is AP exams uh, taken. And if you look at the population of students in California, it's 56% Hispanic, 21% white, 12% Asian, 5% black. And when you look at the AP exams taken, there are about 40% of the schools in California are offering computer science. Of the exams taken, uh, 32% were female, so a big disparity there, but not nearly as large as some of the other ones. 23% of the exams taken uh, were Latino versus 56%. Uh, when it comes to uh, the black population, 5% of the student population is black, 2% are, uh, are taking the AP exams. So it's a, it's a pretty big, pretty big disparity, but I just love the idea of like connecting it to jobs. And so then you're never going to ask the question like, why, why am I going to, you know, why am I taking this? Right. Well, you're taking it it's to like get the that kids when they ask, why am I learning this? You're learning this for $150,000. I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, if we're talking about access, I mean, we're looking at, I mean, you know, I looked at the similar information. I know we offer roughly 45% of our schools offer computer science. And I, but I know the disparity and, and I can tell you, there is one color that is impacting all this, and it's green. 
funding, <laughs> money yeah. invested in schools. I mean, I think I read that the rural schools, they're not getting that opportunity. These classes are not available, depending on the large schools. I'm sure Blaine can tell you, you know, from his, his previous site, they probably created that. I'm from Central California, you know, I didn't have much technology growing up over there. Nevertheless, the teachers, we didn't have that in our schools. That's why we need to flip it in the sense that convince kids why this is interesting or show them their interest. Gaming is, like you said, my kid just created a game in his computer class and it's that's what interested him. He can make a beat, he can create that on his phone. That's what it's about. Now, can we convince, we need to advertise more women doing these type of, you know, jobs. I'd love to find a way to partner with you guys around this. You know, one of the things that I, when we think, when I think about our curriculum, right? It's, it's all hands-on, it's PBL, right? So it's fun and engaging. But the real next step is um, get a skill and a certification yeah. for an actual job that you're going to get. And and these are these are skills that are, for jobs that kids can get in high school, you know, there, you, there's skills you can do in high school and immediately right after graduation. Um, it'd be really great to to partner with with businesses that are saying, hey, I need this skill. Um, you know, CNC machine operator, for example. Um, you know, that involves a lot of coding now. Yeah. Well, it's even farming. I mean, looking at all that, I mean, that's more than just the jobs that we tend to think are just computer based. I mean, farming now is done through a lot of, of the technology that we're doing now. I mean, every profession now is tied to a computer science, is tied to the use of technology to improve the services out there. I think we just need to advertise this and show this and push that and, and push that message. Go ahead, Blaine. Sorry for cutting. No, no, that's fine. Uh, thank you for sharing that. When I was thinking about the question you asked earlier about and why you were talking about just early exposure, and you're right, it needs to be the exposure needs to be earlier for for all students, especially students of color and, and young ladies. But um, back to this idea about PBL project based learning, I think, you know, we're not going to get to a point where we're going to mandate computer science as a standalone course in elementary because standalone courses don't exist. Right. For elective classes like this in elementary. Best way to do it is to integrate, you know, um, computer science and technology throughout projects, you know, that are, you know, the standard curriculum. Right. You're in your English, your math, your science. How do you integrate courses successfully that engage kids in coding practices and in computer application practices, creating their own whatever? Right. We need to think very methodically about what that looks like to develop more interest and, and build more self-efficacy. I think when kids have a higher level of self-efficacy with technology earlier on in their life. Right. And I'm, this is not research based. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience and my own children at home. You know, a light bulb goes off and they're like, you know what, I can do this. And I think that progressively as they're as they're growing down, going down the road in their educational experience from, you know, from from K all the way to 12 they're going to have a lot more belief in themselves around how I engage technology, what I can use technology for, how I can use technology to manipulate different things and ideas. I think that's that's where we want to get with our kids. And I think the the real drop the mic idea is how do you get a certification for kids earlier? Not just not just at the end of high school. Right. But what, what type of coding certification can you get for children and what type of partnerships can we get for kids to actually work in technology earlier as an internship, whatever. We have to think very outside. We have to think outside the box and not see our kids as like 
their their experience with the workforce is, is only going to be in the latter years of high school and then after graduation. We have to get kids exposed to careers earlier and applying the skills that we're teaching them for that job much earlier. So they, again, building this idea of self-efficacy in that career. So that's what I'd love to see a lot more technology it woven in and integrated throughout the curriculum so that kids are building their capacity and their belief in themselves. So you're talking like not only just the dual enrollment blame, you're also talking about certificate, you know, I guess, achievement in schools. I mean, it, it does, it could start as early as we want and you could create that. I mean, to me, it, everything's possible. It's just a matter of, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to try? Are you willing to, to for a lack of better word, make an effort knowing that it could, it could fall face first, but I can guarantee you this is that you'll get growth. Kids will continue to learn. I, I love that I was able to get you you two guys to join the, the show just because of the, just the, the massive amount of positivity that you have around this. And, and, and that's how I want to kind of end this. Um, Cause we, we are, we are out of time at this point, but I'd just like to um, kind of give each of you uh, just m- maybe a sentence or two around, um, you know, the, the art of the possible, like what is, what is the message you want to leave uh, people with the optimistic side of things that, that you think we can make happen? Juan can go first. I am I, almost I, I, I <laughs> here. <laughs> no, you know, I, 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 this is something that I live by. Don't try to be the best version of someone else. Be the best version of you. And if you're interested in that, go for it. You don't have to do like our parents did before where we worked for the same industry our whole life. Experiment with different jobs. Experiment with new curriculum. Continue to be a learner, but be the best version of you. Be your best. Thank you, Juan. I knew that would inspire me. So I was thinking about a quote that was, <laughs> was uh, one of my mentors uh, gave me a journal book a long time ago when I was a, a young educator and it's inspired, inspired my leadership philosophy um, all throughout my career. Um, and you've seen this quote or read this quote before, but it's risk more than others think is safe, care more than others think is wise, dream more than others think is practical and expect more than others think is possible. If you were to apply this philosophy right to computer science and again, more access and opportunities to students, we have to risk more and we have to think outside the box more because we, we everything is possible for our youth. You know, we are the keepers of opportunity for our kids and kids are only going to do what we expect of them and only what we offer them. So it is our job to make sure that we're keeping all the opportunities open for them and in opening doors, opening doors. That's what we have to do. Wow. I, I love that. I love that. Um, you inspired me, Blank. Hey, who went first? I, I just want to give you guys a, a really uh, heartfelt thank you for participating. Uh, we're going to keep, uh, we're going to continue the exploration here. Um, two weeks from now uh, is going to be episode two. Uh, so I hope everyone will uh, will have a chance to dial in. Uh, we wanted to do this uh, this live to, um, <clears throat> to, to invite everybody to participate and uh Again, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, Juan and uh, and Blaine, and um, look forward to being in touch and finding some ways to to work together to, to solve these big problems. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Decode.